<laughs> so, we're recording now. Uh, okay. So welcome everyone. This is episode one of the Golden Handcuffs Guy podcast. I have with me here Joe Michael. Uh, he's a he's a good friend of mine. He's uh, got a pretty interesting story. Uh, hope we'll hopefully we'll get some good insight from him. But uh, see see what his take is on some golden handcuffs. So uh, Joe, let's tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. All right. So I guess my backstory, my introduction, uh, my name is Joe Michael and I focus on buy and hold real estate right now. Currently I've been working since the age of 13 and I'm 35. So 13. Yeah. I already have 20 plus years of experience of work, which is unfortunately not something that I want to brag about, but it is there. I've either been working or in school my most of my life. Uh, I'm guessing you weren't like taking out the trash at 13. What are you, what are you doing at 13? Uh, I was mowing cemeteries for the township and there were three of them and my dad helped me. And that was my first job, I would say, so to speak. So I was way under the, um, you know, the age to where you're legally allowed to work. But since my dad was kind of running the operation, that was my first job. Yeah. Yeah. Since you're his child, it's not considered child labor. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we looked at it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So what, what all did you have to do with that? Or like, was it just uh, his business that you helped in or was it like a thing that he wanted you to do to help you learn? Uh, it was, it was definitely my business, so to speak. He didn't take any money out of it at all. Uh, he was very gracious and I think it was more of like a teaching tool and he was kind of just maybe it was maybe a bonding experience. I don't really know what it was. It was just kind of like, you know, I think my biggest takeaway from it is what is that, that he made, he told me he would help me for free and he followed through with his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like my biggest life lesson that I took from that, from what he gave to me in that regard was, you know, maybe in the middle of August, he was thinking to himself like, oh, I don't think I want to do this anymore. But I gave him my word, he gave my son my word and that, and I followed through with it. And of course I'm too young to drive obviously at that point too. So he has to kind of be there. So it was one of those things where you might as well help out, so to speak. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of it. So, so what, what else did you do? Uh, how'd you, how'd you get to where you are these years later? Uh, okay. So my first job job were like W2 employees, so to speak. I worked at a Domino's that was right down the road at 15 and a half. And I did that after school. And, uh, in high school, I pretty much had a job because that was like the only way to make money. Like in, in my family, if you wanted something outside of food, water, shelter, you had to go out and work for it, so to speak. And that was what I did up until I went to college. So I was, so so what kind of things were you, were you working towards? Like what, what were you wanting the money for at that time? Gasoline, video games, nothing that was substantial. (laughs) Fun stuff. Like (laughs) anything that would fuel a teenager's, desires at that time. That's, that's what it was. in. I was, I mean, I was putting money back in the bank pretty religiously. I, 
I'd saved up some money, not nothing substantial, but for maybe a teenager, that was something substantial. So I was, I was always good at pinching my pennies, but um, yeah, I wasn't saving up for anything. It was kind of saving up for a rainy day, I would say up until college. Mm-hmm. So, so what uh, would you do in college? College, like the first two years, I was basically a full-time student just getting acclimated to being a college student having probably too much freedom and too much. Um, I don't want, I don't know. I don't know. Like too much freedom, not enough, not enough uh, focus, maybe a little bit. And you know, you're kind of your first time you're away from your family and that's uh, a good thing and a bad thing. So I burned through most of my savings doing that. But then in junior year, I got a job. Maybe it was, yeah, junior year, I got a job and it was basically just like working as a cook at one of the local restaurants in the Tri Towers, Rosie's Diner in Kent State. I I went to Kent State. So Mm -hmm. I worked there. I worked the early morning shift and it was absolutely miserable. I think I, 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 I hate to admit this, but this is the, that's the only job that I probably just walked away from and never came back to. Like I just, I just quit slash got fired by just cause I didn't, I just stopped showing up. Like I was just. Oh, you know, I was probably going through some depression at the time, maybe. And but anyway, that was just like it was horrible. It was a horrible. The job itself wasn't that bad, but it was just eight a.m. for college, just not good. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that took me through most of college. I would say was were, were jobs like that, so to speak. But that was the only one that I really ended uh, on a bad note. I would say. Okay. All right. So then out of college, you kind of took a little bit of a different adventure. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I took a little bit longer than most people to get my bachelor's degree in marketing. And I was supposed to graduate maybe in 06, the beginning of 06, but I did my five, I turned my four year into a five year degree and I finished in 07, late 07. And this is when we're like, tick, tick, tick for the, uh, financial crisis, so to speak. When I got out, it was, it was apparent that it was bad. It was going to be bad. Nobody knew how bad it was, but we, everybody and their brother knew it was going down. Like we were going downhill. So I had a bachelor's of marketing that I acquired, uh, through Kent state and I, there was nobody hiring. Nobody was hiring at all. So I had to, but I'm, at home, I mean, I'm not at home. I am on my own and I don't want to go back to home. So I'm, I'm literally working at a pizza shop, which full circle, like I haven't really moved too much too far in life uh, in that regard. So, uh, but, and then I eventually got a job at a, a large retailer and I won't mention their name, but it was my first supervisor job, so to speak at, at, for anything at, at retail. And it was, that was my next point, so to speak. So, uh, I, it was kind of, I have to get a job to pay bills. That's, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's where I was at then. So, so how did your perspective on the job change as you went from these jobs you were doing in high school and college to these, I guess, real world jobs? Well, I would say that throughout that entire time up until a certain point, I always was a go-getter and I really tried to, I was, I tried to please the boss. I tried to do my best every single time to make the boss happy and 
just do the best I can at all times. And I carried that all the way up until through retail, I would say. And my, the biggest percep, uh, perspective that changed for me was when I got promoted and got to move over to my own department and I was kind of in charge of my own little area. And that area was down in the dumps. It was really bad. Uh, and they had a bunch of violations and it was just, they just threw me over there because I hated the supervisor job that I had at the current time. So nobody knew how to run the area. So it was basically the blind leading the blind and slowly but surely I turned that area around and uh, they kind of left me alone because they couldn't micromanage me because they didn't know how to manage me. So they kind of just let me, they gave me some basic parameters, but that was my first taste of really getting to work for myself and getting to be the quote unquote CEO of something, being the owner of something and owning what you do. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. And that was that was a big, uh, a positive tipping point, I would say, for me in in that regard. And I was really excited about it, and I, I loved it. So, so where uh, where did that experience take you? Did you keep trying to climb the ladder, so to speak, with that? Yes, I did. I did very well, and they opened up a new position in the company. And it was kind of like a bridge between supervisor and then salary management. And it was something that the company wanted to do. They seemed like they were lacking it. So they did a pilot program and they promoted, I think, five or six of us at the same time. And then we all were in charge of larger portions of the store uh, in the retail sector there. And I kind of was put in an area that was similar to what I did, but it wasn't exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, okay, more money, great, more responsibility, more authority. I got, instead of maybe five people under me, I got like 25 people under me. This is awesome. Um, you know, I, I can see and, and the track of moving forward and upward in that direction was very, um, thought out and you could see your path moving forward, like all the way up. And, you know, I'll just do this for a while and I'll move over here. And then, you know, it was, it was great. But then that was like after maybe like a couple of weeks. And then I realized that I absolutely hate this. It was, it was horrible. I was, well, everything, you realize you hated it. Well, everything that I, all the positives that I had in the, in the, in the lower spot that I started out with when I was taking over my own department, that all disappeared. I was totally being micromanaged, second guessed. Hey, and then, you know, Hey, do it this way. And then two hours later, Hey, we need you to change it back this way. And, uh, the people that were under me were horrible. Like they were just horrible. They wouldn't listen to me and they're just, they were, they would be, and, but I couldn't correct them and I couldn't build up any rapport with them. And we, all of us were running around with our uh, heads cut off basically. And it was, it was, there was not much positive about it. And I realized then that the next step is this, but worse. Hmm. And that's when I kind of realized that the ladder was against the, the wrong wall. And I'm like, man, this doesn't get any better. Like it gets worse from here. And you know, a store manager, you know, they make good money. I mean, you could easily live a middle or upper, upper middle class lifestyle. But the problem is, is that you're trading your life for that. And I realized that, man, whatever that number was that they made 
it wasn't worth my life. Like it just wasn't like they were, I could see all of them. Like everything, everybody above me was miserable and they hated their jobs. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's going to be me if I keep moving forward. So mm-hmm. that was the big turning point where so, I, sorry. Uh, so did you, did you just quit then and go do something else or what'd you do? So we're give you a time frame. I got paint on my hands too, just to let you know. So oh, like, not like a weird <laughs> disease. I was been painting today. Uh, still, still working. Yeah. Uh, but I'm working for myself now. So that's way different. But anyway, so time frame is mid 2008. Like we're in it pretty hardcore and we still haven't seen the bottom yet of, of the market. We're still, nobody's hiring everybody's laying off everybody is just total panic mode everybody's gonna everybody thinks they're gonna lose their job and the mentality is in at my at my place was i don't care what you did for me yesterday it's what are you going to do for me today so everything that you've ever done positive doesn't matter like you're every day you're you're is an interview for your job that was the mindset that 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 they kind of instilled in us pretty quickly there and I remember they got, we got pulled in the office one day and it was all of us and the boss just reamed us and, you know, standards are way too low. You're not hitting what you're supposed to be doing. This is wrong. That's wrong. I mean, basically we're all just a bunch of garbage, blah, 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 that type of stuff. And this is even when I'm like working off the clock, like not getting paid and getting stuff done, cutting corners that I'm doing stuff I'm not supposed to be doing so I can hit to hit the goals that they're looking for me to hit. And um, what else was going on? It, it was still wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And all of us were in the same boat. There was a couple of them that had easier areas that were doing mediocre, but for the most part, every, everything was garbage. Everything was just on fire all the time. And my, my tipping point was, you know, I'm like, you know, we're all kind of like this and we're all just like, just taking a beating and it was just one. And then the boss goes, he said something along the lines of, you should all just be lucky that you have jobs right now. And I was like, that made me, I mean, now it makes me laugh. I think it's hilarious that like a boss can even say that. Cause I mean, in this climate, you would just walk out and laugh at him. Um, but back then people like people, he actually thought that that was serious. Like that was, and I thought to myself, I was like, I should be lucky just to come in here and just take a verbal beating and just get screamed at, like, like literally screamed at all day. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is what life is. This is what I've, this is, this is working life. And I, and I, when he, and then he, I don't know what he said after that. Cause I just stopped paying attention to him. And I just thought to myself, I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my time here proving you wrong. I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to show that you really believe it. Mm-hmm. And we all walked out of that meeting and everybody was, you know, tail between their legs type of situation. And I, my head was up and I was pissed. I was mad. And it took a long, I was there for probably another year, but after that, like, but mentally so, I was gone. What, what was it that made you have to stay for that extra year? Because I mean, <laughs> looking back now, if you had the, situation that you have now it'd be easier to walk away already having that in place so what what was it that took another year to 
get out of a place that you were trying to prove them wrong? I had no exit strategy. I've never had to develop an exit strategy. And honestly, there was no one around there that was hiring. I had nowhere else to go, so to mm -hmm. speak. So to be honest with you, the boss kind of was right in a certain, in a certain, um, you know, realm of what he was speaking about. But, you know, I, but the, the thing of it was, is that up until that point, it was basically like, how do I get to the next level here? That, that was the mindset. Now, after that meeting, it was, how do I get out of here faster? How do I cut one day off of me getting out of here? How do I cut two days? And then so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. I remember the first thing I started doing was I cut any excess out of my life um, financially. And I just started dumping money into their stock program and just saving up money that way. And I'm making, I'm literally making like $12 an hour. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not making anything that, so I'm living so, probably so like cutting excess, like frugally wise, like trying to live frugally. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything, anything I can possibly do to cut, to cut out of my life just so I can put an extra couple of bucks into that stock program because I knew that that was going to be my seed money at some point. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew then that making decisions then were going to be easier if I had more money to do mm -hmm. it. Um, so I was, I didn't know where I was going or what I was going to do, but I knew the, I knew that that, that was the basic foundation that I needed to start creating for myself. So, mm -hmm. and when the opportunity presented itself, I was going to, I was damn sure going to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you try making more money in other ways as well with that? Yeah, I did. Um, I left that company and then I, found a better company to work for. And that was a factory job. And that actually leads into where I got my golden handcuffs up until mm -hmm. that point. I had not any golden handcuffs. Mm -hmm. uh, so I found another place that was like giving out overtime. Like it was candy. Basically, this is still in the middle of the financial crisis. We're kind of at the bottom, but whatever. And I started a new job and I took a $4 an hour pay cut for $3. So I'm like down to like nine bucks an hour. Like mm -hmm. what people make today, you know, and, but the, but the, the caveat was that place was handing out overtime, like it was candy and mm -hmm. I would work 12, 13, 14 hour days. So the vast majority of my income was coming from overtime and mm -hmm. I knew that, okay, I can live off of $8 an hour. So then anything above and beyond that, I'm going to sock away and I'm going to start figuring out what I can do with it. And mm -hmm. that's kind of when I started to figure out passive income. Uh, through rich dad, poor dad. And I was like, this is the direction that I want to go. This is, I don't know if this is the end all. I don't know if this is the finish line, but this is definitely better than anything I've ever had at this point. Mm -hmm. So that's when you started investing in real estate. Yes. Uh, I, I had, I was working, it's funny. I was working at a pizza shop and uh, the factory at the same time. I was working two jobs. So I get up at, I would get up and open the store at, 8 a.m. And then I wouldn't leave the factory. I'd have like a 45 minute or an hour gap between the, p the pizza shop and the factory. Cause I work second shift at the factory. So I would have, I'd go from 8 a.m. to like maybe noon. And then from two o'clock, one or two o'clock till maybe midnight or maybe 1 a.m. And then I would get up and do the same thing again. And I did that for a month of that. And then that, 
when I was about to leave the pizza shop, I bought my first triplex on a land contract. I put every cent that I had saved up uh, from the retail place and everything. And I put it in a down payment into a triplex. Cause I was like, I, you know, and my tipping point for that was, do you want to do this and possibly lose all your money? Or do you want to not do this and always wonder what if? And I was mm -hmm. like, I'd rather just lose all my money. Like mm -hmm. if that was it. Like that, like after I, cause you're always kind of, I was always back and forth in my brain about what should I do? What should I do? And like squirrelitis, that type of stuff. But then you can, you can have that moment of clarity and you can boil it down pretty quickly of just like, well, you're either going to, you're either going to get better or you're going to die. Like, what do you want to do? basically. And that's, and that was it. Like, I mean, once I asked myself those two questions, I was just like, let's do it. And then, and that was it. So explain briefly what a land contract is. So a land contract is basically the same as a mortgage, but there's a few different things. Uh, and they're called different things in different States. In Ohio, they're called land contracts. And basically Instead of you getting a loan with a bank, you're getting a loan with the owner, the current owner of the property. And they can have a loan with a bank with that property as well, but it can't, but that loan supersedes your land contract. And there's, um, it's a great way to get into real estate with a little, little amount of money. And because banks a lot of times require a decent credit score and some history of starting a business. So there are some negatives to it. Definitely. And I mean, you definitely got to look into it and get, definitely get a lawyer's opinion on what to do, but, um, so that you understand it completely, but I did it. It worked out. And, um, I'm actually in the middle of one right now with, uh, I'm actually the bank in one right now. I'm, I'm playing the role as the bank and I'm also playing the role as the, as the borrower in another one right now. So awesome. Yeah, that's great. So how long were you in this factory job? Seven and a half years, seven and a half years. So what, what happened during that time? Like what, what was your golden handcuffs that kept you there so long? Um, well, it was a union job mm -hmm. and the funny thing about union jobs is that when you first start out, I, I mean, it was a step in the right direction, so to speak. And I was trying to build up the real estate buying and holding with each property. And, you know, when you first start out, you get the crappiest shift and the crappiest hours and no seniority. But as you move up, you can get on the good shift and you can kind of pick what job you want to do. And that sort of turned into my golden handcuffs because mm -hmm. I had a great boss. I had a great hours. I had a great job, an easy job. I was at top rate. I had vacation, I had benefits and there, and I could, I, I was a union steward too. So I knew how to play the game mm -hmm. uh, of knowing what I could get away with and knowing what I couldn't get away with. So mm -hmm. I, I created my own golden handcuffs. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of, um, anything that has a union, that's kind of how it's set up to be. And I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing that anybody that wants to be an employee for, and then just kind of ride it out and have like a simple that they just want to leave it at the door every day. And that's great for them. Definitely. But for someone that's an entrepreneur, a union job is you got to watch it 
it could be really tricky. You could get into it, and before you realize it, you put in 20 years, and now you have to just you just finish it out. Unfortunately, so that's mm-hmm. yeah. So so once you got all this, all these extra benefits, it kind of became complacent, and where you're at didn't drive you as hard to get out of it. Yeah, complacency leads to apathy, and apathy leads to atrophy. And uh, I did get that every once in a while, but I, I did make attempts to get out of there uh, mm-hmm. a few, three or four times. I actually got, I became a licensed insurance agent, so I could sell uh, whole life policies, like any any sort of life insurance. I could sell that. And I also tried to become a firefighter and that didn't work out. I didn't do insurance because I absolutely hated selling stuff. That's just not my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, firefighter, I was getting too old at that point to, to become one. And I tried wholesaling for an active income in real estate. And I just didn't like that either. It wasn't my personality. So you, you tried a whole host of things to get out, sounds like. But is that all like in the later part when you were, when you were trying to get out more or was that earlier when you got in or just kind of spread throughout your time there or when, when were you it trying was, all these? It was spread throughout the insurance came right at the beginning. And I, once I passed my test and like, I was like, man, I'm out of here. Like you guys don't know, but I'm out of here. I was telling myself that mentally. And then I, I did it and I was like, I hate this. This, this is <laughs> So then I tried wholesaling because when you're doing buy and hold, you're not, you buy a property and you put a big investment in up front and you're not making that back for a long time. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a part-time job, you know, and you can't live off of a part-time job, especially when your needs kind of grow as you get older. Um, so I was buying rentals the whole time. And so the insurance that came and flopped and I got discouraged and then firefighter. I just kind of missed that. That was near, that was like the last thing that I tried to do. And wholesaling was kind of in the middle and I hated wholesaling. So I had two things that flopped in the beginning. Um, and that kind of discouraged me a little bit, but the, but the, the buying and holding was always there. Mm-hmm. And looking at it in hindsight, I should have put all my focus and energy into that. Um, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So how you, you built up your buy and holds then, and that's ultimately what got you out of your golden handcuffs. Is that right? Mostly. Yes. Uh, also one thing changed between starting that job and now, uh, I found, you know, a, a beautiful woman and she, uh, we put her through school and we married, we got married and then we also married our finances, which <laughs> took me a long time to figure out that that was a good idea. And, well, tell us, tell us about that. I, I know the backstory on this a little bit more, but let's, let's hear your take on it now. Man, I don't, I don't know if I want to tell the whole truth on this because it makes me <laughs> So I'll, uh, when we came together, I, I was the penny pincher saver. I had a bunch of money saved up and like I had lived a life of frugality um, to have that nest egg, so to speak. And I had next to no debt. I mean, just a couple of mortgages, which are, you know, that's kind of, it is what it is. But um, I was the one that lived off of ramen noodles up until that point. And she came into the relationship with a ton of school debt, no assets, uh, no no finance, no financial uh, well-being or know-how. And I'm not knocking her uh, for that at all. I'm just saying, it's just like, man, 
Like this is not equal. This is not mm-hmm. equal at all. And it took me a really, really long time to stop keeping score of how much mm-hmm. she was putting in and how much I was putting in to just wipe the slate clean and just go, you know what? We're in this together. Like mm-hmm. my money's money and your money's my money. And man, that took me, how long did that take me? A year, two years, a year. A year and a year and a half, pretty solid, I I would say. And that's and that's a year, year and a half after the problem was brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. So we're already, I was already beating my head against the wall before that. So it took me a year, a year and a half to figure that out. And after that, man, it was it's it was way it was a lot better. So it was absolutely. What what kind of things did you change to? I mean, you were already married, so how did you change the way you were acting or your mindset to marry your finances? Um, so some physical things that we did was we joined bank accounts, and it's just now this is our money. We did mm-hmm. keep separate bank accounts just for if we want to do something for ourselves, like if I want to go out and go to a concert by myself or with my friends, I didn't feel like I was taking from us to do that. And she had her own separate bank account outside of that. But that was like, that's literally 5% of our finances or less right now. Like Mm -hmm. 95% of our finances are together. And also it was the mindset change of just like, this is not my money. This is not your money. It's our money. And that was like the biggest thing. And also um, I really handed off a lot of the bookkeeping to my bookkeeper at that time. We had financial meetings every month, my wife and I, and they were just miserable. Um, they, we came in with the best of intentions to figure out where we were at and where we were going. And, and on paper, it's a really good idea to do that. But you have two different, you have two different, um, I don't want to say mindsets, but I want to say two different, two different languages, mm-hmm. honestly. You have a person that is financially focused and numbers focused and logic focused, which is me. And then my wife is very, she's everything else, which is, which I'm not all the categories that I'm lacking. She is the pluses of those. And, and, you know, me trying to explain finances in my language to her is a, is a failed venture. Um, so our, our financial meetings are very impromptu. They're very, um, they still happen monthly, but they're, but they almost happen on a daily basis now. It's very different now. We, we go, hey, listen, I'm like, you know, it's, it's very like, hey, I'm, this, is what we're fo- this is what our issue is. This is what I'm trying to focus on. If, if, uh, if this happens, I'm going to go this direction. If this happens, I'm going to go that direction. What, is your, what do you think about it? And I'm kind of like, uh, kind of like president and Congress. Like we both have the right to veto each other. Um, but I would definitely say that I take the lead in the finances now. And she trusts my judgment a lot, but I never do anything uh, above a certain dollar amount without her opinion in it. And she, and, and that was one of the things that we really worked on was getting better at trusting each other and um, knowing what the other person was going to do and knowing and really not it being opponents, but teammates. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest mind shift. Mind, mind shift for me is that we're not opponents in this. We're teammates. And 
I can only I'm a, I can only do so well if she's at her best, and she can only do so well if I'm at my best. And every decision is for us now. So that was that was a huge mind shift for me. Like honestly, she didn't really have to do anything different. Like she was already kind of there um, mentally with it, and I was the one that really had to move a lot. Mm-hmm. So do you think you would have been able to get out of your golden handcuffs if you still had your old mindset about your marriage finances? No, no, definitely not. Um, because we we're in our system. It's like her, her income kind of pays our bills mostly. And, and, and my income from the rentals is what are, is what's getting her out of her job. So mm-hmm. we're making a surplus in the business right now to where we're reinvesting in the business so that we can get her out of her job. And that's my job. That's, that's my current job right now is to get her out of her job or get her down to part time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to go back to the beginning of your question, no, we would, we would still be on step one of yeah. fighting over stupid stuff. <laughs> so what, what other changes did, did you have to make, you know, as you were coming to this realization that, Hey, I, I need to get out of my job and I can get out of my job. One of the things that I changed was that I needed to get uncomfortable. I needed, I, I talked to Sean McCloskey at a life and air retreat one, one, uh, our three day event that we, that actually you and I both attended. And I, mm-hmm. I sat down with him with, with it at dinner and I could tell like this guy's been talking all day. Like he doesn't want to, this is like his off time, but I just didn't care. So I just, I just exploded on him with like all of my issues. And I told him, I'm like, man, I'm in a job, right? I told him, I was like, I'm in a job right now where I'm very comfortable. I'm very, I know this is a bad thing. And he goes, man, he goes, that's a really scary spot to be in. He goes, like, can you get yourself fired? He's like, can you get yourself? I mean, he literally said that. He's like, can you get yourself to an uncomfortable spot? And I was like, that's my big takeaway. I was like, that was my big takeaway from, from what he told him when I talked to him, which is like, I need to get myself uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if I could, if I could relay that advice to anybody that's in, that has golden handcuffs right now, I would be, get yourself uncomfortable. Take, do something that makes you not want to be there. So what did you do? I took a job. I took, I, I was able to move to a time where I had to get up at three fifteen in the morning. And that was pretty miserable. So, I mean, the good side of it is I was done at 1230. Like, mm-hmm. if you were coming back from lunch, or they're going to lunch, and like half their day still um, to go, I'm done for the day. So that was the good part of it. But I had to go to bed at 730 like a little kid. <laughs> so, and I purposely found jobs in there that were miserable. And I intentionally made myself miserable there. Because I knew that the stick was gonna was what motivated me, mm-hmm. and I would work when I when I decided that I was gonna quit. I was like, I can stay here a year and work eight hour days, six days a week, and just coast to the end, mm-hmm. or I can work twelve hour days, six and seven days a week, and I can be out here in four months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do I want to do? And I took the four month route. Mm-hmm. So you got uncomfortable and did you have any criteria for like, if I meet these, I get out of my job? Yes, I had, we had to, we had to figure out that we, the first thing we did, we cut down our budget a lot. And, you know, as you kind of grow together and if you don't check it, your budget seems to expand on its own. 
Um, so we went through and we cut our budget down to the bare bones. And then we figured out, could we live off my wife's income? And we were, we pretty much could. So that was the other criteria. Mm -hmm. Then the, another uh, point of the criteria was to have enough for an emergency fund. And then another criteria that we had to have was to be able to find a private lender that would fund us to continue the business without um, using a bank, just in case the bank decided to shut off the faucets because I don't have a job anymore. And there might've been a couple other small ones, but to be honest with you, when you're miserable and you set those criterias, those criterias started to slack off even more and more and more. I just, I stripped it down even more. I'm like, well, I don't need to have this much in reserves. I can have this much and then this much and this much and this much. And then that's, that's, that was contributed to me hating my job and me, me, me being miserable, which led me to getting out of there quicker. Mm-hmm. So I, I seem to remember some of the conversation being like uh, trying to help you get to that point because um, I, I think you had got to a point where the income between your wife and what you were making in real estate could support your lifestyle and you were still hesitant to get out of your, out of your job and pull the trigger. But I, I remember uh, one of the pieces of advice being like, well, if you quit your job at this point, you can actually go make more money than what you're currently making. Did you find that to be true? Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, you could tell me that all day at that point, but I just didn't believe it. And it's also that mind shift of jumping that gap, like the gap from where you are as a W2 employee to being an entrepreneur and to, to circle back a little bit, you know, I've been working a W2 job for 20 years. Like that's all I knew. Like that's, and to change that was a huge mind shift. And you could tell me all day, like that I would make more money as an entrepreneur, but it's that fear. It's that it's past the logic of it. It's, it's that emotional part of it. of like, well, what if, well, what mm-hmm. if, well, what if, what if this, what if that and you can talk your way out of it easily. Um, so it was, it was the getting uncomfortable at my job and me hating my job was part of it. The carrot was I need to build up my why and the why if I could build my why up big enough to leave my job, then that would be the, the carrot part of it. And, and to explain that a little bit more would be that what are you going to do if you're not working? Show me your, write down your life if you didn't have a job every day. And people that are out there, maybe listen to this right now, if you didn't have a job, what would you be doing all day? And you could, and it took me a long time to figure that out. Cause I just didn't know. Like I just had to stare at a blank page, like a writer, like a writer's block. It was just like, I don't know. All I do is work. I don't know. Yeah. So what'd then, you come up with? Um, I really, I really, what I did was I, I leaned on things that sparked a positive emotion for me. Anything. I started keeping a list in my phone of anything that sparked a positive emotion. I just kept a list of it, kept a list and just kind of added to it. And that was my jumping off point for my why. So one thing was definitely, I, I love uh, space and anything that is re related to space, like going to Mars, anything that's related to space at all. I, I love uh, anything that's related to 
clean energy, solar panels, the windmill that's behind you right now, mm -hmm. uh, anything that's involved with that. And I was like, I thought to myself, I was like, well, what if I did stuff like that? And then, and then I was kind of like, well, what does that really mean? I was like, well, I could I invest in companies that, that support clean energy and, or I could invest with Tesla or, you know, SpaceX basically. And, um, I could fund a startup that could, that could help something move forward. And I realized that doing that, that the real estate shift was, that was the, that was not the end all. That's when I really realized that real estate was not the end all. It was the, that was the vehicle that would get me to the end all. Wow. Cause I've never really had a passion, passion for real estate. I really like it and it's definitely better than anything I've ever done before. But Real estate, in my mindset, it, that's when it shifted from an, a, a, an endpoint to a vehicle or mm -hmm. a waypoint, so to speak. It was just the next step. Because mm -hmm. um, and, and, I never really had an emotional tie to real estate. It never really got me super excited. But, any, but as, that, as that list grew of things that really sparked a positive emotion, that's, where, that's what built, built my why. And that's what made me look at my job much differently. So how do you now see your golden handcuffs like looking back and how they helped you to get to this point? Um, like, do you think you could have gotten to where you're at without having your golden handcuffs? I would say that's a tough question. I don't know. I know that having a miserable job will get you to where I'm at. <laughs> right. Um, and, but you, you had to create that situation. You, you couldn't just let your, you couldn't be complacent. You couldn't let sit and let your situation get worse for you to finally give you enough. You like, you had to be intentional and go create it and create some abundance in your life to be able to go achieve it. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I think what really helped me was I'm in a union plant. And I can see people that have, that are, I'm there seven years. I know people that are eight, that are there, that are there eight years, nine, 10, all the way up to like 40 or 50 years, mm -hmm. all the way up to that point. So I can see the entire spectrum of my future right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And it all looks terrible. Looks horrible. These people have like busted joints. You know, they're working Saturdays just to make ends meet. You know, they're living off of income that's just not good enough. And they're just counting down the days to retirement, 65, whatever that number is. And for them, and I'm like, man, this, that's what really changed. I'm like, these are not golden handcuffs. Like these are, these are irons that you, <laughs> you know, that they, 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 they clasp on you, you know, ball that's of a, chain. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it is. And I'm the one that's, that's, that's holding the lock in the key and mm -hmm. I'm the one that's not putting it in there. Mm -hmm. And it's not them. It's not them. They're not, you know, it's not, they're not, they're not making me come to work. I got to quit anytime and they would fill my spot in two days. Mm -hmm. Um, so the mind shift really came from seeing the job for what I thought it was to what it actually is and the potential that I was giving up by staying there, the opportunity costs. I know. Wow. So what, what advice would you have now for somebody else who is in a similar situation? Um, my, first, my first piece of advice would be definitely to get yourself uncomfortable get yourself in an uncomfortable spot and 
going back to where when I did insurance and fire or wholesaling, start writing down things that you like and you don't like make a list. And that is going to be your filter for what you decide to go to next. Everything you don't like put on one side, everything you do like put on another side. And there is a book that's called strength finders 2.0 and you go and buy it. And it basically is a book. It's basically like a definitions book, but you take the test and that's, that's where you have to pay the price of whatever it is, like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. can't remember, but it's basically like a, um, like a personality test, a disc test, but it's, it's more geared towards what you would want to do or not want to do in life and who you should surround yourself with too, which is really great. Um, so use that in conjunction with your likes and dislikes and you're going to find something. You're going to find some similarities very quickly, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're a leader, whether you're a risk taker, whether you're like to play it safe. And the first thing that I did was I went to a college, local college here with that information and they have a, um, like a way that you can search and filter through jobs that have all of your likes and few of your dislikes. And you can figure out which career or path you want to take. Cause one thing I was thinking about doing was becoming a loan officer at a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing that I was, I, I almost jumped on that, but I didn't. Um, but that honestly, that would have been a waypoint. I mean, I would still probably be where I'm at now, but that would have been another waypoint. It would have definitely been a better job for me. Yeah. Did you, did you filter it through part of the dislikes? And is that what kept you from going to that? Yeah, I think what I think I was so far along in the buy and hold spectrum that it would have been, it would have been foolish to jump on that then. Like it would have been too much of a hop, like too, too little of a hop. I should have just, I would just do the jump into buy and holds. Hmm. So but if I would have found that maybe five or six years earlier, maybe when I was doing insurance, I probably would have been out of that factory a lot quicker. And I probably, that would have been my new golden handcuffs, uh, hmm. to be honest with you. Um, Cause it's a job and you got to show up there eight to five or whatever it is. And you know, you have a boss. So um, I would have been creating my new golden handcuffs, but I look at it like this, you know, you, you got to look at it like it's the next thing that I'm doing better. And if it is, then maybe you need to jump on it, even if it's incrementally better. And just remember that, you know, not everybody is supposed to be an entrepreneur. I'm not saying that's what you need to do or what everybody needs to be doing, but you want to find something in life that really gets you excited and gets you motivated and gets you, you know, for lack of a better term, would you do it for free? Hmm. Almost. If you had all your bills paid for and, and you had plenty of money in your pocket and you had like a rental business that was just bringing in money and you weren't really messing with it. Would you go and volunteer and do this every day? You know, or, or just to do it, just to do it. We'd like to help people to fulfill your own needs of like desires, basically. Something that lights you up beyond money. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and, and beyond benefits as well. So, you know, and, and a lot of times people give the cop out of like, well, I just go on vacations all the time or I would just buy Ferraris and all that stupid stuff. But like, man, that's not really the real answer. Like you wouldn't do that all the time. I mean, some people might, but you got to find meaning in life. And I don't see a lot of people that find meaning in life through vacations. Vacations mm-hmm. are something that you do and you could do it. You could do a vacation every month if you wanted to, but 
you need to find something that creates value and makes you feel like you're worthwhile and gives you value and, and feel like you've accomplished something. And um, that's, that's the true endpoint, I believe. And, just, and, and the golden handcuffs are the thing that's keeping you from doing that. Awesome. That's, that's great. So what, what's, what's next? What's, what's the vision for where you're headed? So the vision that I'm moving towards next, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, is to get my wife out of her job. So the waypoint is she's full-time right now, and we're trying to get her down to part-time and then down to just full-time mom slash um, multi-level marketing business that she does. And because that's, that's her vision. That's, that's kind of what my next vision is. Now, to be honest with you, that in itself is not very exciting. Uh, I mean, it, it's great that I'm helping her out. Uh, it doesn't get me supercharged, to be 100% honest. I mean, I want to help her out, and I'm very happy to do that. I'm looking at the next step after that, and that is what I get to do once she's out of her job. And that's basically I get to invest in other people that are better, faster, smarter than me in fields that I am not educated in. So anything green technology, anything that is space related, you know, Elon Musk is, he's one of those guys that there's very few people. They come along once in a generation. There's not very many of those guys out there. And I'm not one of those guys. I'm not him. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't contribute in many different ways financially. And I would just want to be a part of uh, moving the human race forward in any positive uh, way possible. I'm actually getting a little bit excited about it right now, just talking about it. And so <laughs> I can kind of tell that I'm on the right path. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me moving and, and getting the next rental. Um, building a portfolio of 400 rentals. That's, that's not in my vision. That's, that would be another version of golden handcuffs. You know, golden handcuffs is whatever's holding you back from actually doing what you want to actually do or what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And and I don't, and I'm smart enough to create, to know that and see that coming and not, and just knowing that like, okay, once I get to this amount of rentals or this amount of income and we're done, that's it. That's, that's great. So kind of, I'm going to ask you about some book recommendations. Um, so first, what, what books on, or what would be your biggest recommendation for a book on mindset? Okay. So these are obviously going to be totally biased because this is what, helped me the most. So the one thing, uh, the book called the one thing, I don't have the authors in front of me for any of this, but that uh, is, that's, that's Gary Keller on that one. Okay. So I suffered from squirrelitis forever, like insurance, being a professional stock buyer and seller. I mean, I could just give you a list of things that I've wanted to do and try and I've done them for two months and then quit. And the one thing is very, very good for someone that has the mindset of doing something for a couple of months and then giving up and doing the next thing um, really, really focuses you in. And that's what moved me to like the aha moment of like, focus on buy and hold rentals, dummy. This is what you're good at. This is what you do. Yep. Do that to get you out of your job. Um, another book in that uh, field would be measure what matters by John Doerr. And you actually uh, recommended that book to me and that's very good for clarity, goal setting, and measuring goals, and filtering whether or not um, this is the direction that you want to be heading. 
it's it's it kind of sounds a lot like the one thing but it's actually not it's it's much uh different and it's a really really good way to once you figure out your one thing that it's a more detailed and focused on that path um so i really really highly recommend both those books um and i i get them through uh audible awesome what about a book on business a book on business i i would I would have to go with the Rich Dad Poor Dad series, and honestly, I would just start with the first book and move on from there. Uh, the Cash Flow Quadrant was huge for me. That book, uh, learning the difference between earned income, passive income, investment, and business—that's the four quadrants. And um, the to get the mindset right, start with the first book, and then definitely move into the cash flow quadrant one and just kind of pick and choose what you like after that. And honestly, those books are super cheap. There's a billion of them that got produced. You can get them super cheap and get a, you can get a used one probably for 10 bucks uh, and retire young and retire rich is another good one. I have them all sitting over there. So okay. uh, yeah, go with any of those that make sense. They're not all going to be for you, but, do the, do the first one for, for sure. And the class cash flow quadrant for sure. Awesome. All right. What health book would you recommend? Uh, this is kind of where I lack a little bit. I hate to say it, but there is one book that I totally would recommend and it's called fat, sugar, and salt. And, uh, there's an, there's another part to the, it's like how the food industry got us hooked and it's a really, really good chrono, uh, history of the food industry and how they use fat, sugar, and salt to get us hooked and processed foods. It's, um, you'll look at food differently, definitely. And how your, how food can change your brain chemistry, not only in the short term, but the long term. So mm. that's, that had a big impact on me and I've really, really cut back and cut out sugar a lot in my diet. And it's been, it's been really hard because that's my drug of choice, unfortunately. But, um, man, cause I don't care about salt. That's not my big thing. And fat is like, who doesn't like fat? Fat's great. And everything. <laughs> um, some bacon. But sugar was really my, was really my downfall. And after listening to that book, that's, that was the catalyst for turning that around for me. Awesome. What book on relationships would you recommend? Uh, I think it's a book. It's the five love languages. And there is a, there is, there's a book on it. And we read that when we first, my wife and I first got married and that's been great for our relationship. Um, and there's a, there's a companion to that. It's how to apologize to each other the five apologies. I don't know what, something like that. Um, but to give you a case in point, I'm a big service person. That's one of the quadrants that you can kind of fit in. So if my wife does the dishes and does the laundry and I come home, the house is perfectly clean. That is way better than any gift that you could get me at the store because I can come home and I can chill out and relax after a long day and not have to do anything. Mm -hmm. Now, conversely, I could leave the dishes I could leave uh, laundry maybe for the next day, but if I got a big 
bouquet of flowers and some balloons because she passed her, um, her big final exam, she would be floored. She would love it. Um, Yes. Gifts are hers. Yeah. And there are some, there are others too. Um, and, and your, and your love languages change over time, uh, depending on what your current state is in your Mm -hmm. life. Uh, because my wife has definitely gravitated towards service because mm-hmm. her time has been more valuable than before. Uh, but great book, great book for relationships, uh, just for communication. It's great. Awesome. What book on personal finance would you recommend? I had a tough one on this one too, uh, because I felt like I duplicated it with the, with the rich dad, poor dad, but I would definitely say the millionaire next door. Um, and there's a companion book to that as well. Uh, the millionaire next door is a really, really, it really tells the truth about who millionaires really are. Cause we, we as a society see a lot of our millionaires, um, through the lens of Hollywood. And that's not how millionaires are. They really are not like that at all. Um, it really gives a perception of how they become millionaires and through, through, the entire spectrum of their life, like every decision that they make, basically, not just business decisions, um, but their mindset and, and what they look like and um, very eye-opening. And it really cuts through the um, commercialized capitalist, keeping up with the Joneses bullcrap that we as a society try to push on each other. Like, you know, Reese gets a brand new sports car, so I got to get a brand new sports car and all that nonsense. Like it's, it, it really cuts through that. And I would, if you read that, definitely take it to heart and, and it would really change your life on your spending habits and how you view true wealth. Hmm. Awesome. All right. Last book. What book would you recommend about life? Um, I forget the author, but the book is called the devil at my heels and they actually made a movie about it recently. And it's basically about a guy who grew up in life and he became, he had all these disabilities and he he turned these disabilities and became like an Olympic athlete. And then he went to world war two, I believe. And then he got shot down and then he was on like a raft with two other guys for like weeks and they figure out how to catch a shark and they ate it. And I mean, you just, this dude had so many things thrown at him and he just kept going. Like he just kept figuring out like his will to live is just insane. And he, he, he did pass away, but he lived like into his late nineties mm-hmm. and you just, it's great for a reality check for me because this huge boulder that's in front of me is nothing to this guy. Like, I mean, this guy throughout his life just climbed Mount Everest and then climbed another Mount Everest and climbed another mountain. And these are all different aspects of his life, physically, Mm -hmm. mentally. It's insane. And I recommend that to read right before you go to bed. Um, You know, as you're in bed, kind of going going to sleep, read that because it really is uh, truly inspirational and it gets you excited for the next day. So you can go out there and, go after that's awesome do you have any podcast recommendations sure uh i have some ones that are just like 
purely for foolish nonsense. Uh, but I would say Joe Rogan is definitely a good one to pick. Uh, he is he is the way his format is the way media should be. Hmm. And I don't mean like his I don't mean his uh, how he views things or or what his personal things are. But man, he gets really interesting people on there, and he picks their brain, and he asks them really thoughtful and deep questions. I really, really appreciate that. And that's the way that our media needs to start going. Uh, and that's my two cents on that. There's, there's another one. Some deep thought into our media. Yes. It's back. I mean, when I was growing up, there was ABC, NBC, and then that they were like the top echelon of, of news like that, that, that group, CBS, all those guys. And then there was like, the other end of the spectrum was like the globe and the, the inquire and the national Enquirer. all those like tabloids that you would see at the grocery store counter. That was like the other end of the spectrum. And they were like the joke. I mean, it was like, you knew it was a joke, but you, but that's, but you, but you, that's what you took it for. And it seems like we've blurred the line between actual real news and tabloid news. And the problem is, is that we haven't, as a society, did the mental shift of that it's a joke. Mm. And I, I really don't want to get too political or any, anything in that regard, but I think our traditional media is um, an, an information that we get, the news has really, really plummeted. It's, it's terrible now. And I think that, that this is the reason why a lot of podcasts are popping up, because they're doing there's, there's a need for it. People want mm-hmm. it. Like the podcast wouldn't exist if, if we did thought provoking news that, that, cause you only have so many hours in the day to watch right. stuff, but right. you're just in YouTube land all the time now listening to people have real meaningful conversations. So mm-hmm. Joe Rogan is definitely one. Uh, Joe Scott is another one. He does a lot of sciencey stuff and, uh, but he does a lot of general stuff and a lot of just kind of thought provoking, good brain food stuff. And cold fusion is another one. And Cold Fusion is very scientific, and I'm kind of a nerd in that respect, and they have some space. So, um, Joe Scott and Cold Fusion are definitely biased, on my opinion, uh, just because it's sciencey. A lot of it is, uh, but but yeah, I still stand behind them for sure. Awesome. Is there anything you'd like to promote, or how can people get a hold of you? Uh, yeah. So I am a coach, and I my that is one aspect of, of my business. And it's one of those things where I really enjoy helping people quit their jobs uh, that, that hate their jobs or maybe they don't hate their jobs. Maybe they just want a better job. And I really enjoy helping people move forward in life any possible way that I can help them. And um, that's, that's been a real passion of mine. It was definitely one of those things on the side of the sheet that, uh, provoked a positive emotional response. And I've been moving towards that for a while now, and I'm taking steps to make that happen. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, you can reach me through email at joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H dot T-Z-G. That's T as in tiger, Z as in zebra, G as in gorilla at gmail.com. If you want to reach out, I'd be more than happy to uh, help you move forward in any aspect of your life. And um, that's one of my passions. Definitely. Awesome. Finally, what action should a viewer or listener take right now? That's tough. There's so many different ways. 
Um, I just had a, a dose of squirrelitis right there because there's so many different things you can do. But I would definitely pick up the book, The One Thing, and dive into that and start to figure out where you're at and where you want to be and then start working towards how the heck you're going to get there. And there's plenty of tools out there to make that happen. But I would definitely start with the one thing to give you a good base to start with. Just pick up that book. It's super cheap anywhere. Uh, and use that as your jumping off point. Awesome. Well, Joe, it's been great. Thanks. I, th I think we'll be talking again here soon. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate uh, – you put me on your podcast and me being your, uh, your guinea pig. Definitely. I, I'm your, you're my guinea pig. I'm on, I'm on number one. So this is a, this is an experiment for me. I got a, I got a lot to learn myself. This is, this is part of my discomfort. You were talking about getting myself on camera and recording and asking questions, talking to people. So uh, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to push you in our accountability group to keep it up too. So <laughs> I'm not going to let you stop. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye, Thank everyone. You.